Welcome back to Check This Please, a podcast where we are rereading the webcomic Check Please, strip by strip, to look back on how we feel about it now that the comic is concluded and we can examine the whole thing in one big tasty portion. Today we are going to be talking about Hockey Shit with Ransom and Holster number four on the topic of butts which was originally posted on May 21st, 2014. I'm Secret OMG, who's with me here today. I'm Tomato, and I'm excited to talk about butts. It's a very deep and profound strip. Ransom and Holster, back again. Uh, The first panel is a gif slash jif, which goes back and forth between the title card and the description of hockey butt. The totally rockin' medius maximus and minimus gluteal muscles that are resultant of hours of hard practice. I have to wait because the jif went, there we go. And gritty shifts on the ice used to destroy enemies and attract mates. I don't love this jif because it exacerbates that time I got a concussion seven years ago. Anyway, if we look to the next panel, the animation has stopped and Holster is wreathed by a couple of attractive hockey butts. Uh, He introduces the idea of the hockey butt and says that players have always carried their posteriors with pride. We then move on to Ransom and Holster in front of noted hockey scientists, Nick and Jean-Claude. In 2006, Ransom says, Canadian scientists determined that it's hockey's unique combination of squatting, lower body flexes, and explosive skating movements that drastically increase booty size. We then move to Ransom and Holster apparently recording Jack Zimmerman while he brushes his teeth in only his boxer briefs. The recording is labeled Jack Zimmerman's ass for just, you know, edification purposes. Jack looks up, clearly sees him in the mirror, and Holster says, I think he saw us. We then are magically in favor, where Ransom and Holster say, no matter the size, shape, or creed, anyone who plays hockey can have a super fly hockey butt. And then a kid asks them, that's actually Ransom, and then a kid asks them, are you saying if I can play hockey, I can have an awesome back parade like a professional hockey player or Jack Zimmerman? Ransom and Holster promise him, of course, your butt can be anything it wants to be. The kid asks, even Secretary of State? And Holster says, especially Secretary of State. Jokes continue in the final panel where Holster looks at Ransom and says, you know, Rance, I love our job. And then Lardo from the background says, you guys know you're not getting paid, right? This is purely a hockey information strip, nothing pertaining to the plots. Biddy and Shitty are not in the strip. Also interesting because the character who, other than Ransom and Holster, has been sort of most associated with like the culture of hockey up to this point has been Shitty, and he's just like not here. Do you think that's because his butt is so unremarkable that... Ngozi just couldn't bring herself to draw him in this strip? I don't know. I think it's like the concept of shitty had possibly worn thin by this point. He does seem a little exhausting. But uh, yeah, Nick Nick and Jean-Claude, do you feel any way about them? I truly don't. I remember thinking the first time around that I really loved the hockey shit strips, and I still do. I still think they're like stupid and fun and are two adjectives that I like in a piece of media. But I was thinking about the fact that they have names and more lines than many characters I'm supposed to ostensibly care about, like the tadpoles. I don't know if they actually have more lines. I haven't gone through and counted. But I just think it's interesting that these completely tangential characters who I truly don't really have an opinion on get so much time and attention at the beginning of the comic. 
Other than that, what do I think about them? They're fine. They're like a gag. It's cool. I don't honestly know if they get that much time and attention. They appear as kind of like a recurring joke in a couple of these hockey shit strips. But to be completely honest, until I opened up this strip and saw them standing there, like I didn't recall that they existed. Like I think of... Johnson and the house ghosts and any number of like non-character characters quite frequently I find these two Canadian scientists just like totally forgettable and I don't see anybody like talking about them on Tumblr or wherever either so I don't think they're like much remembered I agree with that in terms of the early other non-character characters, I think I was thinking about like Ford, who I ostensibly should care about as the manager of the hockey team and yet don't. And I think that I do have more emotional association with these characters because they're in a somewhat memorable running gag in a somewhat memorable series of strips versus existing, I guess, in the background a couple times. Well, I do think they're the only characters who have literally no connection to the storyline storyline. Like, they only appear in these strips that are supplemental to the main story. I know it's, like, jokey, but, like, Johnson is a character that, like, all of the cast knows and to a certain extent presumably interacts with the house ghosts even though like they're not important they're also essentially a throwaway gag they like inhabit the house and have a relationship so to speak with ransom like these canadian scientists like if you went up to biddy and you were like what do you think about nick and john claude he would be like excuse me You know, they're not, like, integrated into the world that the comic takes place in, so to speak. This one time I read an article about Jonathan Taves' insane workout. So I just wanted to comment that in my experience of both reading about hockey and skating myself, roller skating, not ice skating, but still skating, hockey butt is a real thing. And people, especially professional hockey players, especially completely bananas people like Jonathan Taves, who is worth listening to talk about health at any time if you ever like want to listen to a really strange monotone sort of rambling explanation of vitamins on like a random podcast. He's worth listening to. He's a fun guy. Anyway, if you really, really want that hockey butt, you can do like increasingly insane things to get it. Um, And there's a functional reason for it too, which is that that part of your body gives you explosive power, which is the movement. If you're not into skating, it's the movement that helps you move forward like in an agile and powerful way when you're skating. I highly recommend reading about Jonathan Tape's workout. It's just truly bananas. And he is on the Blackhawks hockey team in Chicago for context. That's true. That's true. He is. And uh, we love him. We just love him. A lot of the things I say maybe sound sarcastic, but that that was me being sincere. Uh, We do. He does have like a a large and I think particularly well-formed hockey ass. Sidney Crosby is mentioned like by name in this strip. I feel like when people talk about like hockey butts, you know, those are kind of like the two that I see come up. They're also the two players who are brought up 
and who I believe Ngozi has brought up at various points as reference points for Jack. I would make the point that there is a good amount of Jonathan Taves in Jack as well. Not just the butt thing, which is sort of like a, you know, encapsulation of like hockey skill, but also that kind of nerdy dweebishness about perfectionism in the context of the game of hockey is very Jonathan Taves. And I think that sort of reference point comes through in Jack's character. It's like a very serious hockey captain who's incredibly focused on like his personal hockey performance. Right. To the point of like insane biohacking. I think we've discussed this as well. Jonathan Taves is also bilingual and speaks French and English and is Canadian. And so there are these other like sort of points that you can look at him and say, ah, yes, these things were probably borrowed in some way to at least inform Jack's creation. But certainly his approach to hockey, I think, is part of that. Although I do also think that Jonathan Taves can like make fun of himself a little better than Jack probably can. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this on this podcast before. It's interesting, first of all, because we're talking about butts. And second of all, because this is the, the strip where we see that Jack has a Be Better poster in his room. That is a philosophy that could sum up sort of like Jonathan Taves in a lot of senses. Speaking of Sidney Crosby, we discuss the fact that Sidney Crosby's ass is specifically noted here as very large. And then I pointed out that there has been discussion in various places, both hockey adjacent and sort of like Tumblr fan adjacent, about the special pants tailoring that has to happen because sometimes hockey butts are just too big for your average pair of pants. At which point Secret found this incredible website, Gong Show Gear. Definitely, I remember seeing people talk about this stupid company and their particular like hockey ass pants. Like around the time I was getting into the fandom, I think was around the time that this brand was having some sort of marketing push are being established. I have a couple thoughts on these pants. The first are that somehow, despite the fact that I'm sure the people in the pants are well-muscled people, they managed to make very unflattering photos of those people, which I think is incredible. The other thing is that I really want to read at least one of these product descriptions because I think they're amazing. And I've never seen this website before. I hadn't stepped across it. And I just really think that our listeners deserve to hear this. So again, the website is gongshowgear.com and you can go ahead and look it up. I guess I'll start with hockey jeans. What makes a hockey player a hockey player? Some say it's their work ethic and an unbelievable hustle. Hockey players have smooth moves on and off the ice, making them absolute pistols. They dangle benders and snipe tenders, taking numbers and crushing dreams. Gong show beauty fit hockey jeans are jeans for hockey players, and these men's straight leg hockey jeans are designed for the typical hockey player, one who has massive legs and what is known usually as a, quote, hockey ass, end quote. A bit bigger from hours of skating, squats, and overall just dominating life. And I think that's incredible. Honestly, I I don't need to get into all of the description that descriptions on this page, but I did read all of them and they're all worth reading. So just recommend that for like a good afternoon of fun. Yeah. And like, not only are these pictures hugely unflattering, all of the garments are deeply unattractive. These are pants for straight men who want to like, make sure you know they're straight. Do you know what I mean? And they just 
don't look great. Well, I think if you truly have such a hockey ass that you just cannot fit into actual clothes, your options truly are like this one particular brand of jeans or the Sidney Crosby having your pants specifically tailored for you option. If you Google Sidney Crosby's butt or something, you can see that like even that isn't doing him too many favors because he still looks awful. The issue is that people who play hockey or skaters hockey people, what I don't know what you want to call them. Yes, it's like you get incredibly huge, superhuman-sized thighs and incredibly bulbous asses. But then the rest of your body continues to like usually be fairly athletically shaped and like not especially huge. So if you think about like commercial pants sizing, a small waisted pant is going to have not enough room in the butt and the thighs to accommodate like the size that some hockey players actually like are. But if you size up enough to like accommodate, you know, your like glutes and shit, the pants are going to just be like baggy and ill-fitting on the rest of your body. That's the problem. We get a look inside Jack's bedroom at the house and he appears to have a picture of a man with a guitar posing with his leg up on like the bumper of a pickup truck on the wall of his room, which is um, a really interesting detail. So does he really like this artist enough to put up a poster? Or was he just like, well, people put up posters in their bedrooms when they're in college, so I'll do it too, because that's what people do. Later in 2014, Biddy will tweet about how Jack listens to country music. Okay, but I literally don't understand how anyone can listen to country music. And by anyone, I mean Jack. You're Canadian. How did that even happen? And then it's also the case that in one of the Ask a Welly posts, Shitty states that Jack's interests include classic and or alternative rock. So I guess it's possible that this is like a country singer. The pickup truck looking thing kind of indicates that, but it's also like not that well drawn. So now that I'm looking at it, I'm kind of wondering if maybe it's not like a very long 1950s style like Cadillac sort of car. I don't know. You could read it that way. Maybe. I mean, it's like a really, really like non-detailed sketch in the upper left-hand corner of these two panels that also happens to be interrupted by like the videography framing of these two particular panels. I wonder, I did sort of wonder if this particular picture is like a specific reference to something like some well-known or like existent publicity still. Kind of rare that the background details like this that pepper people's rooms are like made up out of whole cloth. For example, Biddy's rooms have, you know, everything on the walls, his Beyonce posters and his Georgia flags. Those are all based on like actual things. So I wonder if this is like a reference to something and I just like don't know what it is. 
It might be, but I don't know what it is either. Well, it's a guy with a guitar. So either Jack has a crush on this dude. Well, actually, I guess I'm just presuming it's a guy. Like, you don't see the head of the person. That's true. I think that this sort of publicity still for a woman artist is somewhat rare. God, who fucking knows? This isn't really anything, but... Indeed, if it is a country singer, then we will find out later if we read the tweets that Jack is into country music. So, uh, yeah, I guess that might be part of a larger characterization of him as a goober. Tomato, you pointed out that uh, Biddy may not realize that a huge portion of Canada is, like, rural. And in fact, a huge portion of Canada is the prairies, which are, shockingly, because they're on the same continent... Pretty much the same as the prairies in the U.S., except north. And therefore, you know, a lot of the same rural themes that show up in certain kinds of country music show up in Canadian music as well. So I don't really know what's going on there, Biddy. Calgary is known for having an enormous rodeo that I believe is just called the Stampede. That's true. So it's not like they don't have... Western culture, and in fact, a vast amount of Canada is in the West. There's also people who play guitar there, so it's possible that people Ooh, might... Don't go crazy. <laughs> it's possible that people might take similar instruments and similar styles of living and make up similar songs about them. I don't know. Anyway, um, what Biddy doesn't realize is the deepest thing about him. This is on our outline, and when I saw it, I was like... Oh, this is the best piece of Biddy characterization I've ever seen. And I told you that when we logged on to Zoom, and I still think it's true. The other thing I wrote in response was, Biddy doesn't realize Jack likes him until he's elbow deep in there, but um, I feel like that's less clever. Still, perhaps thematically relevant to this comic. Jack looks up, startled from brushing his teeth, and Ransom and Holster realize that he saw them. Well, first of all, you said, yeah, no shit, you're incredibly unsubtle. So that's one thing about Ransom and Holster. They're not so great at sort of secretively spying on their housemate. But I Um, wonder if it's that Holster is like deadpanning. It's possible. But like, it's impossible that Jack would not have known that they are sitting there doing this. Like, yeah, they're three feet away from him. What I want to know is who's holding the camera or is it propped somewhere? Because both of them are in frame. I presume it is propped. Okay, so this is just something I want to point out, that Biddy's vlog, which both has an in-universe audience and reaches us outside of the universe of the comic, continues to be a conceit, like, well past its use until the very end of the comic. It just keeps coming back, even when it doesn't add anything. It's just always there. This hockey shit, which explicitly exists to connect us into the world of the comic and does not have an in-universe audience to the point where other people comment on what Ransom and Holster are doing and are like, what are you doing? Dies off and becomes less important as the comic rolls out. But I'm wondering what you think about that as two different ways of engaging with kind of fourth wall breaking narrative devices and why one stuck around and one didn't. Number one, I don't think hockey shit was ever important to the comic. I think it was a way to share some of the information that the author had gathered about hockey as a culture. 
I think it is a way to tell some people who maybe are like on board for like the twee southern twink aspect of the comic, but maybe at the outset don't know that much about hockey. And I think it's also a way to demonstrate to people who are into hockey that the comic is also into hockey. And so it's kind of like a loyalty building exercise in that sense. And this is mostly a recap of things that we've already discussed in like other hockey shit strips. The comic is like already popular at this point. Like it's already starting to get a fan base. It's garnering readership. Um, I believe it is. And in fact, at the bottom of the blog post on this strip that Ngozi introduces a donate button. So she's confident that she has enough readers and that her comic is popular enough that she can make some money off of this, which is an interesting thing that I guess we ought not get into here. She doesn't really need this device anymore. I think she probably feels free to use it as she likes, as is necessary to her. You know, if there's something that she thinks is interesting that she wants to explore through a strip like this, then she can. But whatever use it had has been accomplished by this point. And then there's, there's one of these strips every year after this. There's one in year two, one in year three, one in year four. By at least the one in year four, it's almost like perfunctory. People like these strips and maybe she wants a chance to like, you know, draw a ransom and holster doing something funny. And that's kind of the use of it. Biddy's vlog, I think if you stripped it away from the rest of Check, Please, would not, in fact, take anything away. Uh, although that's something that we can, you know, assess as we move through. But it's sort of like a founding principle of the comic. And in fact, like it or not, and um, spoiler, I do not... Biddy's vlogging does sort of end up being like what he does with his life. Like his stated goal at the end of the comic is to professionalize his vlog. So there's also a lot of talk about the vlog in the comic and in the paratext. When Jack and Biddy have a conversation at the midpoint in year four where Biddy says, I don't know what I'm going to do after I graduate. Jack says, well, why don't you just keep vlogging? And there's stuff in the Ask a Wellies about the characters wanting to know about Biddy's vlog. And there's already been stuff in the comic, even at this point about Biddy's mom talking to him about the vlog. So useful or not useful, the vlog that Biddy does like is extremely integrated into the comic itself. And it also ends up being like the conclusion to Biddy's story is that he just was naturally doing this thing this whole time because it was edifying for him or he enjoyed it. And then at the end of the comic, he realizes like, oh, this is a real thing that I could professionalize. And that becomes what he does with the rest of his life. Not to bring Ngozi too far into this, but I just realized why she might be invested in telling a story about someone whose creative hobby becomes his livelihood. I never thought about that before. I think one of the things that I find frustrating about the vlog posts is that 
I personally am interested in and like to push on formal constraints. Biddy's vlog never really goes anywhere in the way that it shapes the formal process of the comic. Like Biddy's vlog exists, but as you said, if you strip it away, nothing's really lost except maybe a little bit of Biddy's opening commentary on certain things that happened to him. And I think something about Ransom and Holster and hockey shit that I like is that it is pushing a little bit on the formal constraints of the comic because it breaks the fourth wall. And maybe that's why I personally, with my tastes, am frustrated by its abandonment more so than I would be if Biddy's vlog was abandoned. But as you said, there are very good reasons that Biddy's vlog couldn't be abandoned. And I don't know that they're actually doing anything that interesting unless you're into thinking about fourth wall breaking and literary theory, which honestly, who is? Nobody except me, and I keep bringing it up. But I'll stop now. I agree with you about the sort of formal challenge they're making to the structure of the comic. I feel like that point has been made. So from the first one, they're not doing anything more or anything better or transforming anything any further than they already were like uh, in the first instance. And in fact, like a lot of the jokes just continue to get used. Like the fact that they're doing this presentation or show or whatever the fuck they think they're doing uh, and then characters outside of their sphere say things like, what are you doing? Or like, you know, this isn't blah, blah, blah. And they're like commenting on what Ransom and Holster are doing. That comes up in like, I don't think every hockey shit, but like many of them. And if you like that joke and you think it's funny, then it's a runner. And it's like an effective use of comedy. And if you don't think it's that clever and you're kind of bored by it, like obviously I am, then you're just like recycling a joke. I really regret what I'm about to say. All right. I'm going to say it, which is I just, (laughs) the webcomic Homestuck has. Uh, I regret what you just said. Uh, I recently reread Act One because I don't know, I'm stuck in my house. Let's not go there. One of the things that that comic does well, <laughs> I'm sorry again. Of, of many, many things. Oh, the many things it does well. I'm sorry. I um, infamously hate Homestuck more than anything. Continue. <laughs> Well, one of the things that that comic does well is it takes formal constraints and then it keeps pushing them and pushing them and pushing them to the point of absurdity in a pretty effective way to tell a story. Of the popular webcomics that I was reading circa 2014, which actually at that point I wasn't really reading uh, Homestuck anymore, um, I sort of wish that this webcomic had done something like that. Not at all in similar ways, but... It could have been really interesting if each time there was a formal challenge to the constraints of of this comic. I don't know. Ransom and Holster could have started commenting on like what's happening in the comic. Or it would have been really interesting if she really wanted to deconstruct hockey, she could have had them start commenting on things like homophobia and the NHL, right? There could have been like kind of interesting things happening there that just never went anywhere. You can cut out all the stuff about Homestuck if you really want to, but honestly... I gotta stick with what I said. Tomato, I'm going to chat you my favorite post of all time. Okay. All time. I have reblogged this on my main blog probably like seven times. <laughs> I forgot about this. <laughs> I completely forgot about this. 
forgot about this, but I remember seeing it when you first reblogged it or first made it. First reblogged it. I don't know. I didn't make it. Somebody named Sufferbots (laughs) made it. Maybe I'll reblog it right now. Here's the thing. By the way, it's a. I'll I'll share it in the notes or something. But it's just a. It's just an edited graphic of Jack and Betty like telling their friends that they're dating. But it's it's been edited to say, let me tell you about Homestuck. <laughs> Honestly, maybe one of the best pieces of fan art this fandom's ever seen. It's really good. Truly, truly. Like, nothing brings me more pleasure than just, like, this demented scene with these demented words. In terms of, like, I don't know, meta-commentary on the comic within this strip, the kid says, can I have a big butt like a professional hockey player or Jack Zimmerman? It's a it's a little joke about how Jack is not a professional hockey player. I didn't get this until you pointed it out, and then I thought it was very funny. Yeah, I think a lot of people didn't get it until it was pointed out to them. I think it's possible that at one point Ngozi is the person who pointed it out. I don't think it's effective because certainly I read this strip like dozens of times before I realized that was the implication. So speaking of the humor in this strip, that your butt cannot be Secretary of State maybe isn't the sharpest, you know, punchline that's ever been dragged out of the tool shed. Um, And so you asked, why do people think this comic is funny? Well, thanks for asking, Tomato. I think the answer is people don't have very good senses of humor. That's why everyone liked Homestuck so much. I've never thought Homestuck is, like, real funny. We've talked about this already. I think it's, like, very amusing. I think it's super entertaining. I think the story that I thought it was telling, which is possibly a story it was attempting to tell, although no way we'll ever know, is really compelling and has sucked me in for, you know, hundreds of dollars over the years in terms of Kickstarter and Patreon and so on. And also I'm, uh, you know what, it's, I'm spending my Wednesday and Sunday nights recording a podcast about it. So obviously it compels me. Having said that, like, it's not funny. The humor is never good. It's always like, the overworked and or watered down version of a joke that like you wish it had made. It's all this sort of like grasping for random humor. Like I'll call back to the rash shape, like Ellen DeGeneres. I don't know. It's like, oh, <laughs> funny. Ha ha. You know, my butt can be secretary of state. Like, I, I don't know. It's the reason why this is not funny is because it's neither so refreshingly absurd that you could not possibly anticipate it nor is it realistic enough that it actually, like, jabs itself into something. It's neither. So it's just not funny to me. And I feel like going through these strips, like, on a podcast-by-podcast basis is starting to help me sort of form an opinion around why I don't find this comic funny. Again, it has entertained me, to no end in many different ways. And I think it's extremely amusing. But like, I don't know, her jokes are just like not good. They're like Sunday comic caliber jokes. I have a suggestion as to why people think it's funny also, which I think has to do with the pacing, both of the comic overall and of individual strips. There's a rising tension of some kind. Here it's spying on Jack's ass. And then something flips that tensions on its head or punctures it or just it interrupts that tension in some way. And the way that we learn to read 
that particular pattern, rising tension, followed by an abrupt drop of tension, is humor. That's the genre of that kind of tension. It doesn't mean it's actually funny. I agree that this is like, this got a chuckle out of me, you know, the first time I read it. I don't think it's like particularly smart or absurd or acid in the way that I personally like humor, but it's an effective disrupting of the tension of spying on Jack's ass. And I think that that happens with the comic overall. I think it constantly interrupts its own tension which doesn't mean it's good writing, but which people read as kind of humorous. Yeah, I think we have also hit on this before. I think what you're articulating is something that we pretty much agree upon. She understands the structure of humor writing. She has taken screenwriting classes. She understands the beats. The structure of comedy, like literally the form of it, is there. The jokes are not funny. I can hear the exact cadence that this sequence would be read in. Eat your vegetables and play oodles of hockey and your butt can be anything it wants to be. Even Secretary of State? Especially Secretary of State. You can hear the way that this would be delivered. And like, to her credit, she's good at using the sort of sequential art form to communicate that structure. It's not that this is without merit or without talent. I just don't think the jokes are working. I don't think they're funny jokes. I think you need something else, especially blah, 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 or whatever. Even blank, blank, you know, it's like the blank, blank should be something that is either much, much cleverer or much, much meaner. It's just not committed to its own joke, which is really frustrating. If we look beyond this strip itself to the comic overall, this is an insane pacing decision. To have Biddy come out to shitty and then have Lardo introduced in a comic that like nothing happens in, but I guess it's important because it's Lardo, but also like truly nothing happens. And then to have a hockey shit as the ramping up of a new season, essentially, of the comic, I think that's a truly bananas choice. This just completely like wipes out the momentum that the comic had after Biddy comes out to shitty. Obviously, I kept reading, so it was effective. But I think in terms of the writing, the problem that I'm seeing with some of the jokes is also broadly true where there are these beats that are followed, but like kind of followed in an insane way or kind of followed in a way that's not very effective. Well, I think we also need to ask ourselves, what's the story we're being told here? Is it about Jack and Biddy becoming friends and falling in love? Is it about Biddy overcoming his fear of checking? Or is it about Biddy growing into himself as he socially integrates? And if you're thinking about this as a romance where Jack and Biddy are falling in love, Jack and Biddy have now not interacted for multiple strips. The last thing we saw them do was Biddy tried to say good game or some shit and Jack said it was a lucky shot and then he stormed off and they have not spoken to each other since. So that's about five strips. In the real world, that lucky shot comment was uh, posted in December. Hockey Butts over here is posted in May. 
I guess the people who are following this blog have been seeing Jack and Biddy interact in like extras and ask a wellies and but like there has been no resolution to this last like moment of tension they had. And to jump in with an introduction of a new character and then a out of plot explanatory note. Yeah, it's just a really wild writing choice to me if you're thinking about this as anything other than episodic. But then we also need to think about how this reads if you are not getting it like online strip by strip. Like if you're in the main comic tag and you're just clicking like next, 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 then, you know, you're stumbling onto butts at this point And that's how we got here. That's how I read it initially. But if you're reading it in a book, maybe you don't even have butts. Maybe you just go straight from Lardo into line mates. I still think it's a really weird choice. Yeah, I agree. I think it is a weird choice. I don't know why it was done this way. I think that, you know, we haven't had anything about Biddy and his checking for a long time now. We haven't had anything about Biddy and Jack and their specific tension for a while now. I guess the main thing that Hockey Butts does is it reminds us that we're talking about hockey because there was none of that in Lardo and there was none of that in the closet story. But then you could just give us line mates. I just went to go look at the list of hockey shit and like there is never a hockey shit about checking. There's no hockey shit about checking because there are no hockey shits about element of gameplay. They're only about cultural things. I don't know. What do you do when you play hockey? There's nothing about like assists or goals or... Sure. Hockey gear or whatever. They're all about the sort of social aspects of hockey and not about checking. I mean, that that does make sense in the sense that it is outside of the usual purview of the hockey strips, but because checking is such a big deal, that's a weird choice to me as well. Or if you really wanted to teach people about hockey, which is clearly not the point, you could use these strips to, to your advantage in that way. I don't know. I just never thought about that before. And the more that I'm thinking about, well, how could you strategize these different conceits that are introduced? It seems to me that discussing checking would be a no brainer because the main character is fucking terrified of it. Well, isn't that basically what he does at the beginning of 1.3? Right. But you could talk more about sort of like the history of checking. I don't know. I mean, maybe you don't, maybe people don't want that. Maybe even Ghosty didn't want to write it there's that's fine i just think that that's a weird choice especially as we don't talk about checking for a long time and then it's a plot point all throughout the first year it becomes a bit of a plot point in the second year it kind of disappears for a while and then it comes back again at the end that could be a way that you could string it throughout. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think it makes sense because the hockey shit strips are only about the sort of socio-cultural aspects of hockey. They are not about gameplay at all. I still think that if you went back and kind of thought about what could this kind of strip be doing, that's one thing that it could look at. I mean, if I was going to play like, let's call it script doctor for this comic strip, I would probably, uh, there's a lot of things I would do. I don't know, just in terms of like things that are happening here, I would note just that like Lardo's kind of being managerial. She's standing over at the side and she's got a clipboard so we know that she does the work, I guess. 
Yeah. All right. And then um, your main question is um, whether or not Jack's butt as drawn in this strip is actually super impressive. And here's the thing. No, but to me, her drawing is like super inconsistent. So other places, his butt is drawn pretty good. A lot of the time, I think she forgets it's supposed to be a character trait of his and she just doesn't draw it at all. It's also true that if you uh, go through this entire comic and you look at like one character, it is incredibly inconsistent, like how large they're supposed to be in proportion to other characters or like what the, you know, relationship of like their head to their body is. It's incredibly difficult to assess, even if you just look at like one year of the comic, like how large and how bulky Biddy is supposed to be. Sometimes she draws him and he looks like he's a pretty muscular but just like short and compact guy. Sometimes he draws him and he looks like willowy and petite. I'm not talking about the way in which he bulks up over four years that he ages from 18 to 22. And I'm not talking about the way that her drawing style improves over the seven years she's making the comic, I'm talking about like from panel to panel. I have talked a lot about how praiseworthy her visual storytelling is. She's not a very consistent artist. So I feel like the fact that Jack's butt doesn't look impressive here is actually just like whatever she was referencing was not the right thing to reference or she wasn't thinking about like how it would look in dialogue with other instances of her drawing his butt. I think that in a strip that you're drawing, which is called Hockey Butts and has an entire two panels labeled Jack Zimmerman's ass, you might want to take more care with that. But hey, whatever. I think she's really consistent at character faces, not over time, but certain character traits like remain quite consistent. Like I've seen some comics where faces change from panel to panel and I find that very disorienting and that doesn't really happen here. But body's completely inconsistent. Uh, I feel like she gets off model, not infrequently, albeit not significantly either. As I may have mentioned, um, I am a patron of hers and I really do like to go to her live streams not just because sometimes insane things are said, but also because it's really satisfying for me to watch people draw. So if I have the opportunity to do it, I will do it. She does a lot of like moving components around to sort of like finagle people spatially. So she'll say, draw Biddy's head on his body. And then she'll realize like, oh, to fit into the scene, his head needs to be up higher and then what she'll do is she'll like use a tool to basically just like move his head up and then make his neck longer and it'll make him look a little weirder and his like neck will look too long and it changes the entire way his body looks but like spatially his head is like in a different part of the panel and I know this sounds like crazy but I think she just doesn't have a very consistent drawing style because she's thinking about how a scene is laid out rather than like character design. I also think she looks at like a lot of models and like, you know, models look different. So I don't know who she was looking at when she was drawing Jack's butt here, but she's been looking at different butts different times when she's drawn it. So, uh, okay. 
Also, I think it's just like drawing like a gratuitously huge ass feels kind of like salacious in a way that like maybe she doesn't want to. Maybe. That's fair. But then why have a tag called Jack Zimmerman's ass? This is, well, we could discuss that in greater depth that maybe after you talk about the blog post, because you notice some things in there you wanted to look at. The only thing I wanted to note from the blog post is, is that she does note that uh, Jack's room definitely has a poster that says be better because Jack doesn't even have a type A personality. There aren't letters for his personality type. You can guarantee Shitty took one look at the poster and rolled his eyes and said, brah, come on. Like, it's really good characterization of Jack. Like, yeah, that, that is Jack. He is be better. Like, that is him. Or I think that is a really smart thing to drop in to characterize Jack. I think it signals like a lack of confidence in her design that she can't just let the poster be in the room without like drawing attention to it uh in the notes you know in so many ways this comic is about like growing and being better like being the best version of yourself and overcoming like doing the work to overcome your flaws and your shortcomings to gain the courage and make the decision. So it's interesting here that she seems to be thinking that like Jack is being too hard on himself. Where's the line? Do we think that Jack is really admirable because he has a Puritan work ethic that would drive most people crazy? Or do we think that Jack is like torturing himself needlessly? For a comic which is so interested in people doing the work, we sure don't really see them do it. I would say that much like her character design work, the morals of this comic are often inconsistent and are reiterated through word of God rather than thematically explored in a delicate way. But yeah, I mean, based on everything that we see happening in the comic, uh, I completely believe that this is like something that Jack would put up in his room so that every time he looked at his wall, he would remember to be better. I actually believe that significantly more than I believe like headless country guitar person. I think it's a dude and Jack jerks off to it. He likes plaid. Well, it's very masculine, so who wouldn't? So speaking of being an object, (laughs) you have brought up, and I agree, that there's the larger and more important issue of butts in Check, Please, En General, as Jack would not say. Yeah, so number one, uh, Jack's butt is being, like, fetishized, or at least, like, attention is being drawn to it. I guess in this particular strip, it is not being characterized as, like, an object of, like, sexual fascination, but, like, it has been, and it will be. This is not the last time the comic or the texts around the comic make a point about the fact that, like, his butt is large. Notably, demonstratively, disruptively large. The fact that it's a recurring point of comment to the point where there's like a funny tag on the tumblr and it's not that the tag is full by the way there's like not that many posts tag jack zimmerman's ass and i definitely think it's just a joke i don't think it's meant to be anything other than that this is where the sort of like question mark after fetishizing comes from because if it were just a one-off joke eh, it probably wouldn't be fetishizing the fact that it becomes a character attribute and has its own devoted tag however sparsely filled is 
weird in a way that I can't quite put my finger on. I don't even dislike it. I just like can't quite unpack it. Biddy has a small butt. And we know that because, again, the comic and the text around the comic, especially the tweets, spend a lot of time talking about how Biddy's butt is small. And I have seen... And Gozi make jokey tweets. And I have also seen, I don't know, just different sort of paratexts and extras floating around about the fact that, like, Jack likes that Biddy's butt is small and he likes to touch it. And he enjoys the fact that, like, he can fit all of Biddy's butt into his hand. At this point, yeah, it's like there are a couple who are having sex. So, like, you know this is part of like sex for them. It's very rare to meet somebody who is into or attracted to small butts. It's not usually the way that works, but he's a weirdo. What can I tell you? You get this like mimetic thing, this mimetic saying that ends up getting like appended to blog posts or coming up in Q and A posts. It can be phrased differently, but Ngozi writes like, when will Jack kiss Biddy? When will Biddy touch Jack's butt? So the fact that it's like part of the sort of romantic erotic exchange between them is um, deliberately brought into the paratext. Something that's very interesting to me is the fact that the answer to the question, when will Jack kiss Biddy, is at the end of year two. And the answer to the question is, when will Biddy touch Jack's butt, is uh, up to now, never. That's interesting as well. You raise a point that I think is really interesting to me, which is that um, they're like explicitly two men like they're explicitly a gay couple like this is explicitly like a gay romance comic about like two men who get together and have sex with each other and as you may or may not have heard uh the the butt is a erotic area for men of that persuasion seems like it's all connected. I'll say a couple things. The first is that it's not an accident that sometimes we talk about Jack the Bottom Separatist. You can cut that out of this editing if you want to, but I just want to note that it exists for a reason. Oh, no, 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 no. He's a bottom separatist. He goes to live on his bottom separatist commune. I cannot fully unpack the various things going into this, and I won't try to fully unpack them or come to a conclusive analysis, but I am really wanting to examine how talking about a dude's ample butt (laughs) because of his, you know, devotion to hockey, his devotion to the physicality of hockey becomes complicated when that man ends up in a gay relationship, especially one in which his partner's attraction to his butt has been highlighted. I think it's like doubly interesting when you take into account the maybe purposeful, but maybe not purposeful, like power dynamic that he and Biddy have going on. Biddy likes to teach, take charge of various situations that they end up in, in the comic and then of course in fandom as well. What are we meant to read this as, if not a sort of like wink at the sexual tension between Biddy and Jack and also who wants to do what, where, and in which bedroom? Like maybe not. 
I certainly think that as the comic goes on, it becomes less sexual. We don't hear the term puck bunny after year one, really, right? Not really in year three and year four. That's not really a concern of the comic. In the same way that sex is a concern of the comic in years one and two, even if just through frattiness. But there's still something about it that to me is very obviously at least pointing to like this couple's sexual preferences. And I find it really complicated to talk about as a result. That was also the interpretation that I got after reading the comic. And then when I started gaining access to things like Huddle, I definitely developed the feeling that that was not how the creator wanted people to feel about it. Everything in those Huddles is more stereotypical, larger, more masculine, top, smaller, more effeminate, bottom structured. And this goes outside of Jack and Biddy as well. Like in the one picture of Jack and Kent Parson, he's holding Kent Parson in such a way that there's definitely like an UK-ish quality to it, you know? where he's like blushing and a little demure. So, uh, you know, I, and also actually in that um, LVA versus PVD comic, the way that um, Parse is like clinging to Jack at Epic Hegster in that flashback panel is like that as well. Yeah, my first reading of this and I continue to sort of cling to this in my like preference of how I see the characters has always sort of been like, do not tell me over and over and over and over again that this one particular character's ass is like a site of fascination and then don't give me text about him being fucked. But then like, that's not what's shown in all of these other paratexts that are also sort of like building context for it. You're never going to resolve this because like people have preferences. Side note, I feel like this conversation is making me sound like much more sort of like strict and essentialist than I actually am, which is that like topping and bottoming and doming and subbing are expansive concepts that uh, don't necessarily relate to insertion per se. In my own life and also in my thinking about like fanfic, I um, feel like these are sort of loose concepts, you know, like like Jack's butt. I don't know. I think you once made a comment that you think that the comic became sort of less overtly sexualized, such as it was, because its readership expanded and it became more sort of mainstream and it stepped outside of like slash context on the internet and into a sort of wider general audiences, you know, young adult category. And so it had to kind of like rein it in and do more um, exiling of the sort of like PG-13 material behind a paywall uh, opt-in aspects of the comic. Having said that, yeah, I mean, so long as we're on like a fucking hockey shit strip that's all about butts. Yeah, it's, it's like what I would have expected from a comic that has spent this much time basically talking about Jack's butt is that there would be be at least some sort of follow-through, like some scene where Biddy like finally gets to touch Jack's butt 
and it just doesn't happen. Right. I want to second this idea of sort of expansive readings of any kind of dynamic or pattern that you can label or not label. Like people are obviously complicated. That said, as we've discussed many times before, this is a construction of a particular narrative. In this case, it's a narrative about touching Jack's butt. Uh, sometimes it's a narrative about other things, but in this case, it's touching Jack's butt. This is the problem with this comics. In a, it's, it's the same thing as the formal constraints that I discussed before. Like, or maybe not the same thing, but it's the same frustration I have. If you put a butt on a wall, the butt has to have gone off before by, by the end of Act 3, or what's the point, you know? I actually don't like that particular construction for this. <laughs> yeah, I said it, and I didn't like it as I said it, but, well, it happened, and I'm sorry. This is just a very shameful podcast episode for me. But, the, but what I mean is that she builds these pattern she builds these formal sort of like attention drawers and then rather than letting them play out or evolve or letting biddy touch jack's butt she just drops them and that's really frustrating it's like a weird choice if you're not gonna follow through with something why bring it up but honestly that's so true of many of the themes of this comic and so like maybe it's just how she writes but i find this particular thing frustrating and i also in real life people do all sorts of things in all sorts of ways and they're all mostly fine as long as like no one's getting hurt without consent etc but the idea that this like more powerful guy would also be the more powerful person in the bedroom with these particular characters, I find not particularly appealing. And when I look at Jack in canon, I just don't see it. I don't see it. He doesn't seem like a man who wants to take charge in the bedroom with Biddy to me personally. I don't really see it. I think it's maybe like different with Kent because I I think Biddy is like, a very dominating personality. And I'm not sure that the, the same is true with Ken or that we see enough of him to really know. But I find that pattern much more appealing and like much more interesting and adds much more to the relationship. For my personal reading of this narrative construction, again, not a commentary on real relationships, which look all sorts of ways, than the more stereotypical like, oh, Jack, take me, which I think is sort of in those huddles. Yeah, and to a certain extent, the huddles are sort of like cheesecakey and exaggerated. Actually, what I should say is that the first one is very much just like sketches that have been kind of thrown together. One thing I do have to say is that maybe this is a topic that we ought to put on our next special episode poll because, I don't know, I have a lot to say about it, you know, so much that I think it deserves its own two-hour and 22-minute conversation. Your Chekhov's gun metaphor is good. It's the main, it's the phrasing about like an ass going off that I think is um, not aesthetically appealing to me. However, yeah, it, it is, it is just one of like many, many things that was built up into something where I had a particular expectation for what a comic was going to do or do with it or say about it. And then in the end, it didn't really do anything. And the thing that I'm talking about having been like, but baited by in this conversation is really just like one scene of Biddy, like 
copying a feel would have fulfilled that sort of mimetic reiteration of when will Jack kiss Biddy? When will Biddy touch Jack's butt? Yeah, I mean, the fact that this comic, I mean, we've talked about this, the fact that this comic is being told over seven years and plans are changing and indeed even what the comic is and who it's for and what context it's being written for and like who it's being presented to and who has an ownership stake in it and so on and so forth changes radically from the first strip that goes online to the last strip that's published. So some things get left behind. That said, the number of things that are introduced and then never expounded upon or exist, you know, merely as sort of like accessories is, I think, quite high. Yeah. Also, you know, I just, uh, yeah, Jack is a bottom. I think he takes it up the butt. I, I don't know how many times I have to say it on this podcast until people hear me and, and write about it. I second this. I second this call to the most noble writers among you in our audience, uh, you know, Talk about Jack's ass, please. Ugh, I don't know. Maybe I'll cut that out. Okay, so here's the thing. I guess I'll say this. The reason why this concept of, like, bottom separatism is so funny to me is because it is inherently nonsensical at the root. It mirrors, like, real-life separatist movements. You know, things like lesbian separatism and... I'm sure there's others, but that's the one that you mainly think of when you think of uh, separatism, separatist movements. You think of like, you know, rad femme 1970s communes where it was like, we physically don't need any men. We are going to separate ourselves from society. So it's based on like an actual political thing. However, even though, yes, bottoming is in itself like a political act, it is not essentialist in the same way that like gender is considered and constructed as essentialist like in society it also is something where femaleness does not require like men to define it but uh bottoming does require topping to to accomplish so um the idea of a like a bottom separatist movement is inherently fucking ridiculous and that's why it's funny to me to like continually say that jack would be a bottom separatist because he is the kind of character who is like staunchly committed to pointless things without actually thinking through like whether or not they are sensible at all. Having over-explained that joke, now you understand what I'm saying about humor. <laughs> the idea of Jack closing the gate to the commune and then like a couple days later being like, oh fuck, it's just really good for me. Yeah, I mean, again, like there's, there's no such thing as bottoming, whatever, but like also... I don't know. I guess there's such a thing as like sex toys, but to construct yourself as like a social movement, you're implying like the necessity of like the other people. So, okay. Uh, Well, it's been a joy. 
Do you have anything else you want to add about Jack's ass? I don't know. I don't want to come off as too much of a creepy pervert, or at least I don't want to come off as enough of a creepy pervert that it stops being kind of like amusing and funny. I think you people can probably hear that like almost everything I say comes across with this like, do they mean it type of like sarcasm. (laughs) However, butts are objects of fetishization I think especially like on guys because it's not a typical trait that you associate with straight male sexuality. Like the butt is not like an erogenous zone for, I mean, obviously like there are exceptions, but it's not traditionally constructed or like characterized or depicted as like an erogenous zone for straight men. So, um, I don't know. The fact that this one character has a huge ass and it stands in contrast to the sort of macho bullshit that up to this point in the narrative he has been putting forward is um, just really interesting. And it's part of what makes hockey like kind of a fun and interesting sport is like we are conditioned to think of like what a fits male masculine body looks like and hockey bodies tend to have this one like outrageously off kilter aspect to them so like it's not without merit to have this conversation like there are reasons why this is interesting and appealing to people and why it's like interesting and appealing to me do i take it like that seriously no but i love just like crazy gender fuck shit so you know what jack is a bottom separatist he's gonna go live in the woods and wish he'd invited biddy maybe he comes out every once in a while and then when he comes back to the commune he has to like quarantine himself from the top from having visited the top world who else is like at this commune i don't maybe nobody maybe he just quarantines himself for self-punishment reasons he buys like a really nice cabin yeah yeah that's great uh, I forget what we say at the end of episodes. Where can you find us? Well, I mean, usually first we say, where are we going next time? Oh, yeah, thanks. This is why you do this, because I'm really bad at remembering the whole... All right, well, forget everything you've just heard about butts, because next time we're going to a comic that has nothing about that. It'll be 116, Line Mates. Yeah, and you can find us on uh, Podbean. You can find us on Tumblr. You can find us on our Spotify page. I guess just search for Check Displeased. And I'm Secret OMG. You can find me at C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R, Camillar on Tumblr, or Familiar on AO3. You can find me at tomatorights.tumblr.com and on AO3 at tomato underscore green. Well, this has been delightful. I'm not a comic legend like Ngozi, so I don't have anything funny to say at the end of the episode. But I had a vision like Ngozi and her punchlines that puncture the tension of her strips, like someone just poking a pin into Jack's ass and it was a balloon all along. So maybe that's the image I'll leave us all with. I don't know. I don't know. That's better than like the ass going off, but not much better. <laughs> I talked right. about Jack. What can I say? It's been a it's been a weird time for me. Anyway, signing off. We're done. Get out of here. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
It's like Schrodinger's online Ponzi scheme. <laughs> if nobody pays attention to Homestuck, is Homestuck being created? There's just no way to know. I don't like Homestuck. I think it sucks. I think it always sucked. I don't think it was doing anything interesting or clever. I think the whole thing was a scam. I hate it. I'm not going to comment on it. I'm glad you said your piece. Let's move on.